welcome to episode 39 of the Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. All right, well, uh, news of the week. I released a cover shot and a pre-order link for my uh, bikepacking in the Canadian Rockies uh, guidebook. Um, and it looks like 20 or so of you have already jumped on um, the pre-order link, which is which is great to see. Thank you very much. And uh, those that, that do order early, um, you'll also get a small uh, bonus gift that I'm designing right now. And uh, the book will be come out in May or June. We don't know the exact date yet. But uh, again, thank you very much for those that have pre-ordered. Um, also new on the site is Shutter Precision Dyno Hubs. Uh, they're up. We I think we teased it on the last podcast. Um, we've already had a couple sales. Um, on a related note, I fully appreciate that it's it's kind of a confusing realm to to get into when uh, you start talking about generating your own power and the lights that you need and how does it hook up to your USB gadgets and you know how do you lace it into a wheel. Um, there's a lot of you know uh, questions to get answered, but uh, trust me, once once you get it all sorted, it's a, a pretty tremendous thing to have. So, um, as always, please shoot me an email at info at uh, bikepack.ca um, if you have any questions or, or want to get started. Um, finally, word has come down the pipeline that Apadura is on board to have us showcase their bags in the new year, uh, making us uh, the only online store in uh, all of Canada, actually. Uh, that will have the bags online. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty big step forward for our site. All right, my interview this week is with Dean Anderson from St. Albert, Alberta. Dean spoke at our recent bike pack summit about being the first to complete the Canadian bikepacking Triple Crown uh, in a time of seven days, 15 hours, and 35 minutes. He'll share some of those stories now, including what it's like to ride single speed, juggle work and family commitments, and a whole bunch more. Uh, we catch up with him post-seven-hour training ride. And I got off about, I don't know, 20 minutes ago. <laughs> so I'm a little worn out. Did a seven-hour ride this morning. What? So. Wow. Cra- yeah. Crazy. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what? it's been my Saturday morning the last while. So So what uh, what movies did you have on the go this morning? Uh, what did I have? I had uh, I watched Spider-Man Homecoming again. That was a good one. Nice. And then uh, what was after that? That Logan Lucky yeah. show? Yeah. Sarah and I watched that and last I, night. Yeah. And I watched uh, Pulp Fiction again. I haven't watched that in years. Nice. That was kind of good. And then uh, I started watching The Lost City of Z, which is like a, yeah. the Charlie Hunnam exploration show, which yeah. was okay, I guess. Yeah. Didn't quite finish that one, so I'll finish it later. Seven hours. So is that the, the longest... Um trainer ride you've done or has there been longer no i think i've done nine i think that's my record so far i think i did nine in the spring so that's probably my longest one so when you're going for that long do you have um like a, a program you're working off of or are you just trying to keep your legs moving for that long like what's what's is there any particular objective yeah it's it's preset i have a coach actually so he he kind of lays it out for me as far as the watts how many watts I'm supposed to put out. And so I'll, I'll build the workouts with Trainer Road. That's the third-party software that I use. Okay. And so I'll build the program, put in all the watts for the amount of time that I have, and then I just get, hit start and then go for it. So, And I'll pause. I'll stop every once in a while and I'll go check on the kids and, you know, you know go to the bathroom, fill up the water bottle, you know, that sort of thing. So I take five-minute breaks here and there. 
but uh, I try my best just to try to go right through the whole thing. So it's pretty hard near the end, especially I don't know. The coach tends to make me do like these 220 watt stretches near the end, which is kind of hard on a trainer anyway. And just kind of grind away on that thing for 20 minutes straight at, you know, 230. That's what I had to do this time. It was the last, last 20 minutes or so. It was about, or no, about 10 minutes was about 230 watts. So, how how are you how are you um or monitoring the power is it through pedals or um the trainer yeah the trainer itself does it i'm not sure exactly how it does it but it does it because the bike that i have is just kind of my it's my geared mountain bike that i never ride so i put that one on there and then and then the trainer does it you know just kind of does all the work so okay so you do own a gear geared mountain bike that's good yeah i do yeah it's been in the basement for years <laughs> Um, okay. So, you know, I obviously missed your talk at, uh, the summits and, um, interestingly enough, we, we, we got quite a few questions from, um, riders that, that heard your talk. So, um, I don't know if it, if it was stuff that you had mentioned that they found interesting that they thought others would like, or, um, if, if it just d- didn't get touched on, but, uh, yeah, this, this podcast more than most, uh, got a lot of questions, which was, which was great to see. So we'll get to those, but, um, okay. first, um, we'll, we'll do kind of a warm up round of questions. So why don't, why don't we start with, um, you know, where do you live? What's, what's your day job? Like kind of give us, give us a sense of, uh, the, the environment, uh, that you live in. Okay. Uh, I live in St. Albert, which is close to Edmonton. Uh, my job is a structural engineer. Uh, I started a company about six or seven years ago. So right now I work with two other engineers in my little tiny office in St. Albert. Uh, so I don't have a big commute. Uh, I ride my bike every day. Uh, I usually ride about uh, anywhere between, if I go a straight line to work, it's about two kilometers. So I usually stretch that out and try to go about five or so. Uh, I usually work about 45 to 50 hours a week generally. Uh, then I, I'm involved with my church as well. So I do most of my, uh, the preaching at our church. Uh, it's not every week, but, uh, probably two thirds of the sermons of the year, uh, is, is me preaching. Uh, so I balance that and then we balance kind of the family life as well. Uh, so it's a, it's pretty scheduled. I'm a very routine driven person. So, uh, I usually get up in the morning at about three thirty in the morning and I usually do some sort of training or exercise. Uh, then I go to work. I'm usually in the office by about six or seven. Uh, I usually work nine to 10 hours during the day and then come home, spend time with the family. And then I'm usually in bed by eight 30 or nine 30, somewhere around there. Uh, and that stretches out through the weekend as well. So, uh, lunch break is when I prepare my sermons. Uh, so I do everything on the computer. Uh, and then Saturdays is long ride day. So I usually get up the same time, usually three thirty, and start riding around four, four thirty-five, somewhere around there. Uh, then the rest of the day on Saturdays, usually doing stuff with the kids. And then uh, Sunday, I'm usually up at four or so to work on my sermon for that Sunday, and then go preach on Sunday. And then after Sunday, then it's usually doing something with the family again as well. Wow, <laughs> that's a that's a full schedule, and it's probably not really unlike you know, the hours that I'm putting in, I think, you know, with, with the sermon, it's probably like putting a podcast together each week. Like it's something that takes, uh, you know, at least a, a couple of hours. So there's, there's not really a lot of free time, uh, in your schedule, but that, that's how you like it. That's, that's great. Um, so 
St. Albert, uh, it's not a place I've spent a considerable amount of time. I grew up in Edmonton, but I imagine that there's not a, uh, a strong bike packing culture, uh, where you are. Are there any other riders doing what you're doing up that way? A little bit. Um, the bike shop crankies in St. Albert is the bike shop that, uh, that I go to all the time. Uh, and they're pretty interested in it. they they always like, uh, kind of hearing the stories and the things that I'm into, uh, and they actually got me to do a talk uh, this last uh, this last fall um, to talk about bikepacking, kind of the things that, that the races that I've done and the, the kind of little adventures that I've been on uh, and kind of what's involved. And it got a pretty good turnout. There's about 15 people there that showed up, nice. uh, kind of from Edmonton and St. Albert. Uh, and they're all really interested. Like, you know, nobody left early, which is kind of nice to see. And then everybody stuck around after just to kind of see the bike. Uh, I brought my full my fully loaded bike in there. Uh, everybody's taking pictures. They wanted to see all the gear. I took out all my stuff, laid it out on the ground. You know, everybody's really interested in that sort of thing. So it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good community as far as that goes. Uh, I'm not sure how much of that is just, you know, we're so close to Edmonton that I don't know sure how many people came from Edmonton, but uh, uh, there's a guy named Josh at the summit and he's from Mournville. Uh, he came, we went fat biking uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, so there's, there is a few riders out here. Uh, I think there might be some, some, uh, the crankies riders might want to go on uh, a trip that Jonathan's planning, uh, to the, from Jasper to the Icefield Parkway. Oh yeah. Uh, so there's, there's a few. Yeah. Okay. So, um, your history with, with bikepacking, I, I, you, you did the triple crown this past year, you did the tour divide, um, the year before, um, which I believe, yeah, 2016, I think was the year I ran into you on the, the front range, um, as you were doing an ITT of the Alberta Rockies route. Did you, did you have any experience with, uh, long touring or bikepacking before then? Not, not a huge amount. Uh, I've been backpacking all my life. Uh, I've done the West coast trail, uh, five times, I think out on Vancouver Island when I lived out there. Uh, I've done backpacking pretty much every year we go for, you know, maybe two trips, you know, three or four days long. So I'm pretty comfortable as far as, you know, kind of being out in the backcountry and doing that sort of thing. Uh, but I haven't done, I didn't do a lot of it on a bike, you know, at that point. Uh, and then what got me into bike packing was kind of the, uh, 24 hours of adrenaline. Actually, I decided to do that one year. I thought that would be kind of a crazy goal. And at the time I thought, wow, riding for 20 out 24 hours, there's nothing can beat that. Like that's the craziest thing anybody could ever do. And uh, went out and tried it, and it wasn't that bad. I thought, oh, okay, this is it's pretty hard, um, but you know it's achievable. It's something that you can actually do. Uh, and then we did one touring trip. It was our first one ever, uh, and I went with Kristen, my wife, uh, my sister, uh, my niece, so my sister's daughter, and it was a fully supported trip from Jasper to Banff. So it took us five days. We only did about fifty kilometers a day uh, on road bikes. And we had our family and friends were in a support van that would drive ahead to the campsite. And then we just ride to the campsite. So we didn't have to carry, you know, a lot of stuff with us. And that was our first real kind of introduction to uh, touring, you know, or going, you know, from a place to another place on a bike, you know, over a fairly long distance. So that's kind of what got us into actually traveling by bike. And on the way, we met this guy from France. Uh, his name is Laurent. Uh, he rides everywhere uh he's been i think the only co- country he hasn't been on in north america and south america is cuba and he's doing that one this year and at the time he rode from i believe it was vancouver to alaska i think 
And then he was on his way down to Argentina and we met him between Jasper and Banff. And he introduced us to the Great Divide mountain bike route. He says, Oh, we're gonna take I'm gonna take this this route, you know, down through the United States. And that's what piqued Kristen's interest. She was the one who was really interested in it and she did all the reading. Uh, she read the book. I can't remember the name of it, but it was the one by the uh, guy from England. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, was it Eat, Sleep, Ride? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Eat, Sleep, Ride. Yeah. So she read his book, and she was really enamored with it. And, again, at the time, I never thought, I thought, True Divide, that's crazy. You know, like, there's no way, you know, I could ride that for that long. But then after the 24 hours of adrenaline, oh. that's what kind of thought made it a realistic goal. I thought, like, I'm comfortable backpacking. I can do that, no problem. So why not do it on a bike and why not do it the Tour Divide? So that's what kind of got me into the bikepacking scene, I guess, <laughs> was uh, just kind of pushing goals. I just thought, you know, this is kind of the next crazy thing to do. So I, I tried that. Okay. So the, okay. So when I ran into you on the front range there, so uh, 2016, were at this point, were you aware of Bikepack Canada, like how did you hear about the front range route or the Alberta Rockies 700? Um, yeah. Like where did that come into your consciousness? Um, that was mostly research. Uh, I was kind of looking around and then I discovered that Jonathan put together this route. I was like, Oh, Alberta Rockies 700. That's a race. Um, actually at the time before I heard about the Alberta Rockies, I thought, wow, somebody should make a race in, in Canada. You know, there's so much good stuff out here. You know, it'd be pretty awesome if somebody could put together some sort of, you know, ride somewhere. Uh, and then, you know, I learned from learned from Jonathan, and, and I believe it was through, I think it was just through Google. I was just searching races, Alberta, you know, and just kind of searching for stuff. And then ran across it and then contacted Jonathan, and then uh, that was his first year of doing it. And I thought, what a great opportunity to do that before I did the Tour Divide. You know, kind of, you know, do that route, just uh, test out all the gear. And uh, so I, I did it. I think when I finished, I had 10 days before the start of the tour divide. So it was kind of my warm up with all of my stuff. I kind of replaced, um, all the stuff on my bike, you know, the bearings and that sort of thing to get everything ready for the tour divide. And then I did the Alberta Rockies and just to make sure everything was working well. Uh, and it actually, I, I started breaking spokes on the Alberta Rockies. So I had my wheels rebuilt right before the tour divide. So it was really good that it happened on that route instead of the tour divide. So. Yeah. And you, you ran into some, well, we both ran into some pretty nasty weather right? the, the day I ran into you. I remember I had to route off course to a motel cause I was freezing to death. I, my stuff was soaked through. I think you, you had some of the same coming into Canmore, right? Yeah. It was a little bit chilly. Yeah. On that ride for sure. A little bit wet and rainy and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think through, I've, I've always commuted on my bike. So I'm kind of used to all that weather. Uh, I used to work on South Edmonton, so I used to ride about 30 kilometers to work every day. Uh, and I kind of get, I don't know, I don't mind the weather too much. As long as you have the right gear for it, it's not too bad. So, yeah. Okay. So, um, Tour Divide 2016, you finished in, uh, just under 20 days, if memory serves me right. So you pretty quick time, definitely for, uh, a rookie pace. And then, uh, you follow that up with, uh, the, the first person to complete the the our Canadian Triple Crown, so the the BC Epic, the the Alberta Rocky Seven Hundred, and the 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 Hurton Albertan, and um, so yeah, we we had you share some of your experience at uh, at the summit. 
Um, so I, I'm sure there'll be some overlap here, but you know, for, for, for me who wasn't able to see the talk, I'm curious, like what was, what was the evolution of, of that goal? Did, did you go into 2017 already with the mindset that you were going to do all three events? Yeah, it started, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it started after the tour divide. Um, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's almost like a depression amongst riders. You know, you finish this huge goal and you're done. And for me anyway, it was, I, I was planning for that ride for about a year and a half. And then when you finish and you're successful, you know, you're happy that you did it, but then all of a sudden it's like, well, what do I do now? You know, like the last year and a half have been me planning and preparing and getting ready for this ride. And now, now I have nothing to get ready for, you know, you're kind of, you know, done. So a lot of people actually find themselves in pretty low place. I've heard of a lot of stories of other riders that, you know, they gain 20 pounds and stuff because they don't know what to do with themselves anymore because they finished their goal. Uh, so what I did was I, I picked another goal and the goal was actually the Trans Am in 2018. I knew that would be the only time, uh, to do the Trans Am, uh, just with work, you know, balancing, taking, you know, a good month or six weeks off work and, you know, kind of saving up the money for it and everything. So that was my goal. And it's kind of funny. It didn't work out this way, but I thought, okay, so I'll do all the Western Canada races because that'd be easier on my schedule. <laughs> I was very wrong when I, <laughs> when we actually did it, it wasn't very easy to do. It was actually more scheduling and more difficult. Uh, I wouldn't say difficult, but, uh, more challenging, uh, balancing everything with those three rides kind of strung together like that. Uh, but that was, that was how it came about was I, I had the tour divide done. I wanted to do the trans am and the between year was me. Uh, again, the plan was to take it easy and just kind of do these Western Canada races, uh, cause we didn't have to travel too far. So that's, that's kind of how the goal came about. So, okay. So you, d- you did go into last or this past year with, with the three in mind. Um, so did, did you, I know you have a coach now. Did, did you have a coach then? And were, were you training as, as diligently? Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to do well. Uh, again, my goal is always try to go as fast as I can go. Uh, I'm not necessarily, you know, I, I always want to get a good placing in it and everything, but uh, I, I always kind of learned this from Josh Cato is that he wanted to ride um, to the best of his ability. And wherever that put him was wherever that he was. You know, he wasn't as concerned about that. So I was trying to do the same thing where I just wanted to go as fast as I could go. So I had kind of my plan in place. And wherever I ended up in the placings of the race is wherever I ended up. Uh, so that was kind of the way it went. Uh, my coach I've had since the 24 Hours of Adrenaline. Uh, I did that the first year, uh, just kind of on my own. And then when I decided to do the tour divide, I wanted to do the tour divide on a single speed. And so I decided to do the 24 hours of adrenaline, uh, between before the tour divide with a single speed as well. So I did the 24 hours of adrenaline with single speed and I got a coach for that. So I wanted to do well at that and well at the tour divide. So I've had that coach kind of throughout this whole time. Hmm. Well, okay. Let's, let's, back up to, to, to address this whole single speed thing. So where, where does the, the interest in, in doing it that way without gears come from? Um, I think it's come from, it came from a long time ago. I've been riding single speeds for years and years and years, kind of, I don't know, a really long time. Uh, it started with my commute when I was commuting down to the South side. So maybe 15 years ago or 20 years ago, I started riding single speeds. So I've always had an interest in it. And 
I knew that if I was going to do the tour divide and I did it with a geared bike, I'd want to go back and do it with a single speed. So I just thought, okay, I'm just going to do it with a single speed then the first time and just kind of get it done that way. So, uh, and then when I did the 24 hours of adrenaline with a single speed, it worked out so awesome. Like it worked out so well, uh, so well paced because you can't change a gear. So, um, I just kept riding these consistent laps over and over and over again. And it worked out really, really well for that race. So that kind of made me feel good about picking it for the tour divide. Hmm. So is it, is it a consistency thing or is it, is it a, is it a worry over, you know, more moving parts with a geared bike? I think for bike packing, um, I like it a lot. Um, I think we talked about this before and I thought it was funny how you're, you said that it was nice to hear a real answer instead of just saying, Oh, I just love single speed. Uh, I know, I know everybody who rides single speeds, everybody loves single speeds or else they probably wouldn't ride them. Uh, but when I'm riding the bike packing, uh, routes, I really like it because of the mechanical aspect of it. Uh, it's so efficient. Um, and then whenever you're riding through this kind of nasty terrain, uh, the mud, uh, maybe if you're going through grass and that sort of thing, the single speed just rides through it. Like you don't have to really be concerned about kind of wrecking your derailleur or getting the, you know, getting the derailleur wrapped up in your spokes and bending your hanger. Um, you don't have to think about any of that stuff. You just kind of plow through the stuff and then maybe wash it off later. You know, there's not much moving parts to really get stuff stuck in. Yeah. Uh, I know we're riding my fat bike, uh, in the winter time. That one's got gears. Uh, and I ride on St. Albert. There's a place called big Lake, which has got a bunch, it's a wetland basically. Uh, so there's a lot of grass kind of in the you know, early winter and it's such a hassle. Like I'm always riding this thing and it's clicking and it skips and I'm like, oh, I wish I had a single speed, but you know, it's, it's, it is that mechanical aspect, I think. And then on a bikepacking race or a route, um, it doesn't break down nearly as much. Like you just can just keep going and going and going and there's not much to adjust and uh, things to really be concerned about that way. But no knee problems yet? Uh, no, no, I don't, I don't find it too bad on my knees at all. Uh, on the, on the triple crown, um, after the Alberta Rockies, my knees were pretty sore. Uh, and I'm not sure, I think it was more of an overuse thing. That's what my physiotherapist was saying afterwards is that like, um, it was the top of my kneecaps was really bothering me. And, uh, he said it was more of a, uh, just a overuse, uh, like, you know, how your muscles get sore after you go to the gym and work out yeah. uh, it was like that, but it happened to my tendons. So it took a little while to kind of get over that, but it was really temporary. I think like I haven't had any issues. Like I said, I've been riding single speeds for 15, 20 years and I haven't had any problems with my knees as far as that goes. <laughs> Well, kudos to you, because for someone who's got knee problems, I, I can't even fathom doing the divide, especially um, on on a single speed. And I think about all those hills on the Alberta Rockies. It's it's they're they're not as not as uh, steep, but they 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 are frequent. So I, I can I can yeah. definitely see where that overuse comes from. So the 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 scheduling of the events is is a little different this year. But did you? Okay, so you have your training strategy. Did you have um, any particular strategy with how you managed the, um, I guess, each individual event and, and the time in between, you know, whether uh, with, with training and recovering? Yeah, I would listen to my coach, and he would basically just say, don't do anything after the, uh, the, the races. Uh, just really take it easy. Um, and I was very... I don't know, maybe this is the engineer in me, but I'm always very analytical. Like I'll look at the grades, you know, you can put it in ride the GPS and you can see what the grades of the hills are as you go along. And I'll pick my gear ratio based on all that. 
and really try to plan out where I'm going to stop for water, where I'm going to sleep, you know, really try to break down the whole race as far as the scheduling goes that way. Uh, and then knowing the Alberta Rockies route from when I did the ITT the year before, I really lowered my gear a lot, like my gear ratio. Um, again, a single speeder, I, ra- I obsess over gear ratios. Which one do I pick? It, uh, the BC Epic has got a lot of those railway grades, so the grade is fairly uh, gentle most of the time. It's always about 3% because that's all a train could go up. So those decommissioned railway uh, routes are pretty easy on the hills as far as that goes. So I picked a a fairly high gear for that one. Uh, But the Alberta Rockies, I knew it had that really nasty section where it was just up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. So I picked a really easy gear, uh, something that I would actually spin out at 20 kilometers an hour. Uh, So on the flats, I was just spinning like a madman, you know, up in my seat trying to, you know, go at least 20 kilometers an hour. Uh, Katrina experienced that after we stopped at the the rebound cycle in Canmore, that little, uh, the camp that we had there. Uh, we rode together to the next campsite, and I was saying, well, I don't know if you can follow me. Like, I'm only going to be going 20 kilometers an hour on the pavement. So, But she managed. She said it was okay. So, hmm. At no point where you do, you, do you feel like, okay, so you, say you're riding with predominantly geared riders. Do you do you find it, you know, I know you're you're closer to the front, but there's still people ahead of you sometimes. Do you find it frustrating that you know you can't necessarily always keep the the same pace or have you just been doing it for so long that it's it's not even something you think about like you you have consistency on your side yeah i try my best to be consistent and try not to stop or at least whenever i do have to stop i always try to be as efficient as i possibly can so i try not to i guess waste time or dilly dally at at wherever i stop Uh, and that tends to make up a lot of time Uh, but i know it is interesting riding with um, like in the uh, Alberta Rockies, uh, the two guys I was riding with, uh, Kyle and Richard, uh, they they were they were kind of together because they were on the geared bikes, and they'd usually pass me, but I'd always catch up to them. They'd stop at a water stop or uh, you know whatever reason they had to stop, and I'd I'd pass them and see them, and and I would just we'd, we'd kind of go back and forth, kind of jockey our positions because I just have my my consistent pace, and they would go faster, but then they stop longer. So it usually works out in the end that way. Hmm. Okay, cool. Well, why don't, what about, um, I'm just trying to think, what, what about a, a high and low from each of the three events? Oh, okay. High and low. Uh, the BC Epic, the high was probably, I guess I felt the best, uh, right before, uh, Castlegar. Uh, the trail in there is awesome. Like I, I just love that area. That section that had all the tunnels. Uh, and then you, you kind of come out of all these tunnels and then you're riding up on the top of, uh, I think it's a lake. It looks like a river, but it's kind of a big, long lake that goes into Castlegar. And I thought that was awesome. And then you cross through Castlegar and go in towards trail, and it has some awesome single track in there. I think, I think a lot of the riders were cursing into the single track, but I just love that stuff. So it was really, really nice kind of riding through there. Uh, and then that led in, it was kind of a big high, I guess, but that led into me panicking that I was going to miss the ferry that night. Uh, it left at 9:40, and the single track slowed me down so much that it became kind of a race against the clock to try to make this ferry. I know Leonard was a little bit ahead of me, so I know he was going to make the ferry, and I had to make the ferry too, or else I'd be stuck at the ferry station until like six in the morning the next day. Um, so I just rode basically straight through, and that seven hours from trail to the ferry uh, came down to eight minutes. Wow. I made it to the ferry by 
and it left at 940. So I just kind of put my head down and rode in there. So making that ferry was like a super high point. Like that whole day was just awesome because, you know, riding through Castlegar was just awesome scenery. Nice kind of morning was the time that I was riding through there and it felt really good. And then I, I kind of got low when I realized that I was going to catch the ferry, but then the elation kind of when I actually made the ferry, you know, it was just awesome. Uh, and then the low point for the BC Epic was probably being sick. I got bronchitis uh, right before that race. Uh, it was about five days before the start. I kind of started to feel something in the back of my throat. And then I was losing my voice right when the race started. And it just got worse and worse, you know, through the whole, through the whole ride. Uh, so there's a lot of the times there where I was only having like 60% of my breath, you know, I had to slow down to try to make sure I didn't breathe too hard. Uh, cause my, you know, my throat would just kind of lock up, you know, I couldn't really breathe too well and I'd just be hacking and hacking, you know, at night and stuff. So, uh, it kind of messed up my plan, I guess, overall, cause I had to stop at night. I couldn't really ride past, you know, 11 or 12 o'clock. Uh, cause I kind of, I lost the ability to breathe very well. Uh, if I slept for about three hours and I would kind of reset myself, I'd wake up and cough out a bunch of stuff and I could ride again for, you know, another 18 hours or so. Uh, but that was probably the kind of the low point, uh, coming into Kimberly was where I felt really bad and I actually had to stop and I couldn't breathe. So I had to hack out a bunch of stuff and I was trying to eat and I couldn't really eat. And I just felt really, really bad, you know, at that point. So, uh, Alberta Rockies, um, that was a really good ride. I'm not sure if I have any lows for that one. Uh, the high point was probably getting close to being finished. Uh, my plan worked really well. Uh, I planned to bring all my snacks for the whole ride. Like I didn't have to resupply throughout the whole race. Uh, so I planned out how many calories I needed for the whole ride and then just brought it all. Uh, and I didn't want to, you know, take time to, stop as much as I could. I, I definitely got sucked in at the, uh, the Canmore stop, <laughs> but, uh, you know, because it was so nice there. Yeah. Uh, but that was kind of my plan is I didn't want to have to stop for food very often. It was just water, you know, where I could just stop for water at times, but I wanted to just keep riding and not have to stop for food. So I brought all my snacks and I guess the high point, yeah, was, was being able to actually execute that plan. It worked out really well. Uh, I was riding with Kyle and Richard and we came into Nordegg at about 1230 at night. And I had it in my mind that I was going to ride straight through. I didn't want to stop. I just wanted to go from that first night's sleep after about 300K to the finish. So the last 450 just be all straight through. And it worked out really well. You know, I had all the food. I wasn't hungry the whole time. You know, so I felt really good about that. Uh, and, yeah, I don't know if it was really a low point for that one. That, that race felt really good. How, uh, how I'm not one to dwell on it. Maybe I just forgot. Yeah. How, how was the your your overall time compared to the, when you did the ITT, I, I, I don't recall how long it took you before. Um, I know Kristen's the number cruncher. She always remembers this stuff, but I always forget. I think I cut about five hours off my time. Wow. That's great. It's either five or seven hours off my time. And I think it was about 40 kilometers longer too this year. Uh, he did a little bit of a reroute, uh, just North of the ghost Creek campgrounds or the ghost Creek, uh, area there. Uh, he did a bit of a reroute there. So it's like, yeah, I think it was about 40 kilometers longer, and I think I cut about seven hours off the time. And that was probably because of my gear ratio choice, because I was able to stay on the pedals over all those hills. Uh, the, the time that I did it with the ITT, I had the, my gear ratio that I was using for the Tour Divide, and I was walking a ton of hills because they're so steep, you know, so kind of a sawtooth elevation profile. So. Yeah. And uh, then last but not least, the the Hurt in Alberta, some highs and lows. Yeah, highs and lows. Um I think the high was probably 
coming through uh, the campsite at the midway point. Uh, that was great. Like, I, I love the organization. Uh, Justin and Trevor did such an awesome job in organizing that. Um, and having that idea of having that campsite being kind of the, the home base, you know, where you're able to drive in and spend the night there and then get up and race. And then you see it kind of halfway through the race and then you're finishing in the same place as well. Uh, and when I was coming in after that uh, first kind of loop out to the West uh, and they had the burgers going and everything, and it was just a great kind of high point. You know, I felt really good in the race. You know, again, that one, my plan was not to stop. I was just going to ride the whole thing straight through. Uh, and, and I was actually planning on not stopping to eat there, but again, I got sucked in by the temptation of it all. And, uh, and it was just nice to have them there and give you a burger and kind of encourage you and keep you going. So that, that was a big high point. Uh, and then probably the low, um, the low was probably the last 40 kilometers of that ride. Uh, I was being chased. I can't remember his name. Uh, but there's a second place guy. Like I, I managed to pass him when on the road, when he was sleeping in the middle of the night, and, uh, he, I passed him and I was probably about 15 or 20 kilometers ahead. And I was checking track leaders a lot, which is kind of a, I don't know, it's like a hate, love, hate thing with track leaders. Uh, it's almost better not to know sometimes. Uh, but I was always trying to stay on top of them. So I was really focused on staying ahead of them. So it kind of gave me something to shoot for. And it was really exciting. And I was, you know, doing my best to stay ahead. And then when I saw that he scratched, he actually stopped around drum heller, um, you lose kind of that motivation. Uh, Tom DeVries was about 70 kilometers behind at that point. So I knew that I kind of, you know, I didn't have anybody really chasing me for the win at that point. Uh, and, and it really just took that motivation away, you know? So it was really hard to finish that last 40 kilometers. You know, the gravel was really, really soupy. Uh, it just never seemed to end. Like that was the longest 40 kilometers of my life. You know, just trying to finish that off that race. I didn't have anybody chasing me and it was just hard to keep that motivation going to finish it off. Uh, which led to another high point of actually rolling into the finish line and seeing my family there and a bunch of people were there because uh, they had that campsite again where everybody could kind of hang out. So it was really nice to see uh, the guys there and my family all right at the finish. So, Yeah, something about that last stretch from uh, Drumheller back to Bicycle, it's just it seems to take so many people out of the race. I'm really curious to see, you know, um, hopefully next year I'll be able to get out there and do it. But uh yeah, there's a ton of scratches that happen on that last stretch or, or even just before. And I, I remember watching you guys on track leaders when you were coming into uh, Drumheller. And yeah, I, I don't remember the other rider's name offhand, but um, I, he, he cut into Drumheller, I believe. Bef- so you go close to it and then you loop back around to it and i think he he cut off a bunch of that time and i was like what are you doing like you're you're going the wrong way and yeah so <laughs> yeah that's what i thought too yeah. yeah no i can appreciate that not having the sort of that carrot on the end of the the string to to push you especially yeah, on yeah. that section can be tough yeah um okay well let's let's get into some of the the listener questions i know you saw some of these um, so in no particular order, uh, and I didn't mark down who asked what, but, but thank you everyone for, for, for asking the questions. Uh, first question was, uh, what are you fueling or sorry, what is your fueling and hydration plans for shorter races? So anything under 500 kilometers, which is nothing or none of, none of our events fall under that category right now. Maybe the Kootenai gravel grinder. I'm not sure. 
But uh, so, yeah. So what's your plan for under 500 kilometers? And then what's the plan for over a thousand kilometers? I think it's about the same. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. I think it's the same. I, I, I try to eat every 20 or 30 minutes. I try to do about 200 calories. Uh, so uh, I'll have my two feed bags on the handlebars. And I, I, I learned this from the 24 Hours of Adrenaline. Uh, hearing Corey Wallace's talk at the summit was really interesting because he mentioned how his eyes went fuzzy at certain points. Yeah. And I had that same thing happen when I was doing my single speed on the 24 Hours of Adrenaline. I actually had to pull out, uh, which is kind of a drag. I had an hour and a half lead. I was in first place in my age category. And I had to stop and go to the hospital because I couldn't see anymore. Like my eyes went all fuzzy. It was like looking through a, a thick fog. And so, uh, my sister and my wife are in my pit and they said, no, you better stop. Like, you know, have it like getting first place in a race isn't worth your vision kind of a thing. So, you know, we went and saw the medics and then I uh, took off to the hospital. Uh, and what we learned from that, uh, what the doctors were saying anyway, was that I had too much glucose and caffeine mixed together. Uh, I took a couple of five hour energies in the middle of the night Yeah, and I was, I was really eating mostly sugar. Like I had the honey stinger gels and I was drinking a, a sugary, you know, electrolyte drink in the bottle. And I was on a schedule, strict schedule for that too. I drink or I'd eat the, the gels. I'd have a cliff bar and I'd drink this whole bottle every lap, you know, which for me was about an hour and a half hour and 20 minutes. Uh, and then they said that that spiked my glucose levels to the point where I, my cornea swelled. So I had a artificially induced diabetic attack is what they were saying. Hmm. So what I learned from that was that I have to make sure that I mix, uh, a sweet and a savory all the time. So my go-to food on these things is like meat sticks. You know, like you get those hot rods, the greasier, the better yeah. things. And I'll have those, uh, maybe some cheese strings, like find those at a gas station or something. Uh, and then I'll have my sweet stuff on the side as well, like shot blocks or candy bars, that sort of thing. Uh, and every 20 minutes I'll just alternate. So I, I'm pretty careful at watching the clock. Uh, you know, I'll have something maybe at noon and I'll say, okay, at 1230, I got to have something else, you know, and at one o'clock I got to have something else. So I try to stay on a pretty good schedule and I just switch back and forth. So I have a chocolate bar, then a meat stick, and a chocolate bar and a meat stick uh, and switch back and forth. Uh, drinking, I just try to make sure I drink all the time. Uh, I don't really have a super tight schedule for that, but I always, you know, whenever I look at it, I take a, take a swig of water. Good. Um, okay, next question. Any special training and riding techniques to take care of your knees and ankles? And I think this is probably relating more to the fact that you ride single speed, but just in general, I guess, too. Yeah. Um, the coach has me doing, I, I have three kind of money rides during the week. Like I say, I commute, so I'm pretty much riding, you know, seven days a week. Uh, but usually on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'll do a more high-intensity kind of interval ride. Those are usually an hour, hour and a half long each. Uh, so I'll do those on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Uh, then Saturday is my long ride day. So um, usually in the beginning of the kind of training session, it'll start at three or four hours. Those are kind of the short ones. And then by the end of it, I'm doing 10, 12 hours usually on those long ride days. Um, and then I run. Uh, I actually try to get in a little bit of running. It's not that much. Uh, the off days, the Monday, Wednesday, Friday are gym days. So I'll just go to the gym. Uh, those are the days that are usually sacrificed uh, if I'm busy or doing something else. So usually out of those three days, uh, most of the time on average, I probably just go twice a week. Uh, but those two days, I usually try to run, you know, 15 minutes on the treadmill at the gym when I'm done the, the strength training. Uh, and I think that helps a lot for the ankles and kind of making my feet a little bit tougher. 
uh, as far as my knees, my knees got blown out skiing when I was 18. So I've, you know, I've got a torn ACLs in both of them. Uh, but as far as riding, it doesn't, I don't really feel too bothered by them. Uh, a little aches and pains here and there, but, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if I do too much special with that. Uh, riding a single speed, just standing up a lot, but, um, it doesn't seem to bother my knees too much. So. Yeah, the the I was uh, when I saw this question, the the thought that came to my mind right away um, from my own experience was when I did the the Tour Divide last in 2015. I, I blew out my knees in the first uh, two days, really <laughs> with the intention of winning the event, you know, right out of the gate, which I wouldn't do again. Um, and the the lesson that I took away from that was I had phenomenal endurance. That that was never the in question. Um, you know, my legs were well prepped to to be able to spin for for you know twenty four hours, thirty hours at a time. It, but when it came to the the pushing, the grinding on the pedals on the the hills, which you know coming from Ontario, I, I couldn't really replicate. the The endurance was there, but the strength wasn't there. So. You know, something, especially for the routes out our way, um, I would put more attention into uh, for future years would be um, definitely a lot more um, strength uh, training, you know, squats, um, you know, deadlifts, that sort of thing uh, to build up not only the strength, but the, the endurance. So it sounds like you have a bit of that in your, your program, too, which is uh, good to hear. And uh, variety, variety, too. So um, you know, moving, moving in more than one plane, which, which, you know, cycling pretty much is so side to side, get that ankle mobility going. Good. Um, okay. So next question, how do you manage to do, <laughs> how, okay, how do you manage to do the long trips and keep your wife and kids happy? Yeah. I was joking with my wife. I said, Oh, they're not, but that's, that's not true. <laughs> they're definitely happy with it. Um, we try to make sure we mix, Oh, I guess the first thing is communication. Uh, I don't just walk up to Kristen and say, okay, I'm doing all this stuff next year. You know, like I don't try to just kind of force it upon her. It's always kind of a, uh, you know, a request or a, you know, a compromise overall. Uh, so I make sure that, you know, everybody's kind of in the loop with this stuff. Uh, and with the tour divide, uh, she was really excited because like I say, she was the one who researched it all before I did. Like she was the one telling me about the tour divide. And when I said, though, I'm, I'm thinking of doing it, she was really excited because she did all this research. So she was excited to see me do it. And uh, we mixed in a family vacation with it. And that's kind of what we've been doing with these other trips is that when we go traveling, we always try to do something with the kids kind of along the way, wherever we're going. Uh, for the tour divide, it was a big road trip. Uh, so her and the kids and my mom actually drove down to the border to pick me up. So they took, you know, four or five days to drive down through the United States and they saw you know, family and certain things on the way. And then when we picked, uh, when we picked me up, uh, we took a good week and a half to get home. And we went to amusement parks and saw a bunch of sites on the way home through the United States. Uh, so it was really fun that way. And, and we did that again in Western Canada. We usually stop and, and, you know, go see certain things and, and go camping and that sort of thing on these, uh, on these trips. Uh, so we always try to make sure that's uh, a good balance. And then every year we always try to make sure we have like a family vacation as well, like some sort of trip. Um, like for example, before the BC Epic, me and Kristen hiked the West coast trail with some friends. Uh, then Kristen's parents, uh, drove our kids down to Vancouver and then, uh, us as a family did an Alaskan cruise. So that was kind of our family vacation. And then 
uh, on the way back, I came home and I actually worked for four days and then went out and did the BC Epic after that. Uh, so I think making sure they have good communication, uh, make sure they, uh, support you, uh, is really important. And then, uh, trying to make sure everybody's kind of happy with what's going on, uh, which involves a lot of compromise. Uh, we might get into this question a little bit later, but that, that changed my plans for doing the trans Am as well. There's a lot of compromise in that way. Yeah. So, well, uh, as an aside, I, I, uh, was Sarah and I were chatting before we came on the, the podcast here and, um, I will say, you know, from what little I've, I've, you know, seen of, of Kristen, uh, you know, we, we met at the summit and I think I may have met your kids at one point too. I, you know, one thing that really stands out from the, your pictures and meeting you guys in person is that you all seem pretty well adjusted and, and supportive of, of one another. And, um, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like this is a conflict point. It seems like something that you, you all embrace, uh, which is great to see. Um, Okay, well, uh, you're obviously training a ton, um, seven hours today, which is, is kind of, even to me, is, is, is mind-blowing. Um, you're obviously focused, so what are your race plans for 2018? Yeah, this, this is good timing because it ties in with the compromise part. Uh, like say, I say, I decided to do the Trans Am after the Tour Divide uh, in 2018, so that was the original plan, uh, and only uh, relatively recently, a few months ago, um, you know, with all the riders, uh, passing away, you know, doing these ultra road rides, uh, really, really got to Kristen, uh, got to me as well. Uh, but I'm very, I guess, goal oriented. Uh, if I decide to do something, it's very hard to steer me off track. Um, maybe that's why I'm, I'm I do kind of well in these bike packing races. Cause you know, anything that gets me away from finishing isn't really a, a, a viable option, you know, cause I'm, I'm very goal driven that way. Uh, so I was still planning on doing the Trans Am after, you know, you know, my call and everybody was passing away from these, these races. Uh, but it really bothered Kristen. So she didn't want to buy into that. She was thinking that, you know, this is something that, you know, she's not on board for, uh, cause it's, uh, you know, it really is when you have a family and all these obligations, it's almost irresponsible to kind of put yourself in that kind of danger, uh, that way. So we compromised, uh, I changed my plans. Uh, I bought a road bike and everything. I was all ready to go. Uh, but you know, after that happened, a geared road bike, a geared road bike. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to do a geared road bike and and ride the Trans Am. And, uh, you know, once that kind of came into light is that this is something that, you know, uh, we don't want to do as a family. Uh, then I changed my plans. So that led into me doing the Arizona trail race. You know, I decided that, no, I'm not going to do the road rides. Uh, to be put too much stress on, you know, in the family and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, I'm okay with that. Uh, as long as I have something to kind of work for then I'm, I'm happy. So, you know, it changed my gears. It was, you know, kind of a difficult conversation we had one night, but it switched us over to doing the Arizona trail race. So that's my goal is to do the Arizona trail race this, uh, April 5th, I believe, uh, I'm going to do the 750 mile version. So the big one. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I'm getting ready for right now. Do you find, um, you know, from what you know of the event, do you find that your preparation's different uh, for, for this year compared to when you did the, the Tour Divide? Uh, a little bit. Uh, this one, uh, from what I've heard from the blogs and the other riders that have done it, that have done both the Tour Divide and the Arizona Trail Race, uh, the Arizona Trail Race, just what everybody says, is harder. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the Tour Divide is difficult based on the sheer distance, you know, the kind of the endurance in that respect. 
Um, but they say the Arizona trail race is much more difficult. Like it's a lot harder on your body. Uh, there's so much hike a bike, you know, I've learned this from you as well. Uh, you're, you're hiking and pushing your bike over rocks and all this kind of stuff. So it's a lot harder on yourself. So I'm trying to do my best to do more running, uh, to try to kind of strengthen up the, the ankles and the knees and that sort of thing, as far as walking goes. Uh, I had surgery on my knee back when I was, you know, 18 or 19 years old. And, uh, they took out about half of my cartilage in my knee. So whenever I go backpacking for two or three days in a stretch, my knee swells up just from the, you know, from what's done to it. Uh, so that's one thing I'm kind of concerned about. So I'm trying to make sure that, you know, I'm kind of strong in the knees. So again, you know, like you're saying, uh, get to the gym, do the squats, that sort of thing, try to strengthen the, the supporting muscles around the knee. Uh, so I'm trying to focus on that and do some running as well. Uh, and then a lot of it's, I'm trying to get more single track in. Uh, I got so far away from single track um, that it, it almost took me a little while to kind of get back into it. So I'm doing more club rides with the, with, with crankies, uh, at least when, when there was no snow on the ground, I would go out with the mountain bike clubs, try to, try to tweak my technical skills again, kind of get back into that again. And, uh, and for those of us that were at the summit, we knew that, uh, I th- was it the day or two before you were out hiking, uh, in Kananaskis with your, your bike on your, your back. So you've, um, you've got that piece. Have you, is, would you say you've got that piece figured out? I pretty much, I think, uh, you know, little tweaks here and there, like packing the bike. Uh, I got to figure out some way to carry my, my e-tracks, uh, cause I know I'll, I'll, I don't know if I really need it, you know, through the Grand Canyon, but I always want to look at it. Uh, and I just thought of an idea of, of strapping my feed bags on the straps somewhere so I can eat while I'm walking as well. Uh, I can keep those kind of on the outside of the backpack because they have the Velcro that I can, I can stick it maybe on the hip belt or something. Uh, I researched some backpacks and found a decent backpack that's used for alpine stuff. So it's got all the straps to hook on a snowboard and skis. So I can use those to, you know, that, that trial up Cox Hill at the summit. Um, I was able to strap the bike on and it worked out pretty well. Uh, so I'm pretty happy about that aspect of it. Uh, I'd like to practice it more just to make sure I can do it kind of fast. I don't want to spend a lot of time fiddling with it if I can help it. Uh, try to get as efficient ride as I could in there. So. And uh, knowing that there's a ton of hike a bike, uh, I, I seem to recall you, you picked up a pair of those Shimano XM7 shoes, right? Yeah, yeah. When I talked to you about that, I said, what do you recommend for the shoes? Uh, so you recommended those. So I've been wearing those, uh, since the summit, basically, I got them kind of just before the summit and used them when I hiked up Cox Hill with my bike and they felt pretty good. They're a little bit wide uh, with the size that I picked. Uh, but I'm getting used to them now. I'm kind of breaking them in, I guess. Uh, they, they almost seem like hiking shoes. Uh, I guess that's the design of them is they're a hybrid shoe, really mountain bike and a hiking shoe. Uh, so I'm breaking those in. I'm wearing them all winter. Uh, they're actually really warm too. They're warmer than my winter shoes. So, uh, yeah, I'm trying to break those in and they seem quite comfortable. So I'm pretty happy with those. Oh, excellent. Well, we, we look forward to following the progress. And, uh, I think, uh, my, my one last question, um, we'll, we'll throw it back to your partner, partner, Kristen. And I think, you know, as, as, as her husband and, and someone that's doing all these fun things and then, you know, learning from, from Kristen at the summit that she's, uh, you know, enthused about the scene and, and wanting to get more involved, um, you know, as her partner, um, you know, I find myself in a similar boat. What, what kind of ways do you find um, that, or what kind of things do you find that you can do to help encourage her, her interest and her growth within um, the bikepacking scene? I think, uh, 
going out on more rides. Uh, I know she likes going, like we would go on a tour actually, uh, usually once a year. Uh, last couple of years, we haven't done it as much. Uh, we got kind of frozen around Canmore one year in September uh, and that kind of sours a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, we try to go out on a tour because we like going out just kind of on our own, like just her and me. And we go out in little bike tours, you know, it's, it's so great just being able to go out and, uh, kind of take a nice, easy pace and smell the roses. That's what I really like about it. Uh, so I think, you know, we try to go on rides again. I try to get her involved. I try to ask her input on, you know, what should I do here? What should I do there? Uh, she really wants me to ride on a geared bike for some of these races, but I'm not sure if that's in the cards or not. <laughs> like too much of a step for me, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. All right. Well, Dean, I, I appreciate, uh, your time this, this afternoon. And, um, well, now that you've done a seven hour training ride and put us all to shame is, is a, is a nap in the cards? Uh, maybe I'm doing something with the kids <laughs> and then we got a birthday party to go to tonight. So it's still kind of a busy day, All but, right. uh, yeah, yeah, I might, I, I wouldn't mind taking a nap. That'd be okay. All right, Dean. Well, we'll, we'll keep updated on your, your progress. And, um, I, I, I eagerly look forward to following you on the Arizona trail race. Uh, I'm not sure if I would want to race it after having toured it. And uh, I'm curious to get your feedback after, after it's all over and done with, it's going to be a pretty incredible adventure. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm excited about being in the desert again. I just love that part of the states. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to see see if see how fast I can go. See how fast I can do it. Cool. Well, I'll uh, let you get back to your afternoon and the birthday party. And, and again, thanks for your time, Dean. Okay. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs>